And welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 159, and I am your host, Nicholas Minix. Joining me, as usual, during the week is Eno Saris. Eno, how are you today? I'm doing good. That's good. That's good. Sounds like you're feeling a little chipper. That's very exciting. We'll try to get in a nice podcast here before you head to the ballpark and learn some more cool stuff about baseball players. Uh, getting to some news. Uh, first, that might be of most interest to a lot of fantasy folks is that uh, the Cubs are calling up Jorge Soler. And before I get into him just a little bit, wanted to mention uh, that Kylie McDaniel, first of all, this is kind of a good segue into the fact that Mr. McDaniel has joined Fangraphs relatively recently for those who are not familiar. And uh, he put up an Instagram post on Soler today. It shows some scouting video or some video where you might be able to do some amateur scouting of your own. But uh, Mr. McDaniel is a very experienced person in the business of scouting players and uh, he'll be heading up Fangraph's <clears throat> uh, prospect coverage uh, kind of heading a team of writers that already has some experience uh, McDaniel is very very knowledgeable and that comes across very well in his posts as well uh, that's very exciting uh, development for Fangraph's I think you will be really enjoying his post you'll notice also on player pages uh, as he gets into players that uh, and he mentions this in the Solar post that Scouting grades will appear on prospect pages as well as uh, moving forward. So that's a very exciting development for folks who are really excited about prospects. I think. You know, did you have yeah. did you have anything to add to that? Uh, just a few things. Uh, I think that uh, the approach that he's taking is really exciting. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, the the sort of uh, the twenty eighty scale stuff is going to be showing up on on prospect pages as he fills them in. Um, and uh, the somewhere between a hope and a plan is to, at some point, um, give readers the ability to sort by those numbers. So uh, I think that's going to be a really fun thing where you can, you know, group all the, uh, you know, 70 power guys, uh, especially when you can do it sometime in the future, um, and group all the 70 power guys and say, here's how they turned out, and group all the the 70 run guys and say, here's, here's how they turned out stuff for research like that. Also, um, you know, for us fantasy guys, the benchmark is always higher, uh, for a bust. Um, so we could, we could, uh, set our thresholds at a different level, um, and look at bust rates ourselves. So, uh, I think that'll, that'll be, uh, adding sort of scout stats, uh, to the leaderboards, uh, and to the player pages is going to be a, a great step forward. And here's another way um, that you can see it already in his Instagram post. Uh, he used just the, the the sort of scouting scale numbers that he had for, you know, hit tool, raw power, run, that sort of stuff. He used that uh, to um, to develop a, a projected triple slash. And it's not really a projected triple slash. It's, much, it's more of an upside type thing. Um, and so he had the upside for Solaire is around... Uh, 285, a 360 on base percentage, and a 485 uh, slugging percentage. And I tried to look at um, who that was. Uh, you know, he mentions Yasiel Puig, but Puig has a 501 slugging percentage. That might be um, a good way to think of him as as, as a Puig with less um, less uh, stolen base, fewer stolen bases, and maybe a, a couple more homers. 
Um, another guy that's in the 485 slugging range uh, that seems uh, interesting is um, sort of Matt Adams, uh, Freddie Freeman, um, and uh, Jonathan Lucroy, uh, Seth Smith this year. So I feel like, um, you know, if 485 is really his upside in terms of slugging percentage, we're not looking at a 30 home run hitter. Uh, we're looking at a, you know, as a Chris Davis with maybe more on base percentage, uh, maybe a slightly more athletic Chris Davis. Um, we're looking at uh, a Carlos Gomez in terms of power and not in terms of speed. Um, so I, you know, I think um, that's an interesting uh, outcome for me because uh, Soler took just such a huge. Um, a jump forward this year and most people um you know think he has more upside in terms of um has more upside in terms of power uh because you know he just uh he just isoed 330 and 440 in in double a and triple a this year and has just taken off but if you look down at the oliver projections for seller you'll see um oliver has him for about a 250 hitter with like a 310 on base percentage and a 430 slugging percentage about 20 homers a year. And that's probably because, you know, Oliver and probably it's probably the smart approach for us is to look back at the rest of his career. And, 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 um, you know, uh, and I think Kylie did that as well when he said, you know, want people want to give him a 70 power because right now he's, he's slugging a lot. But, you know, if you look past just this year, uh, there are more inconsistent results back there. So, you know, Oliver will, will, will go back to, uh, Solaire's, uh, you know, beginning of his career when he was, uh, less effective. And so should we in a way, you know. So, uh, I'm, I'm excited about him. Uh, I really like the, the strikeout and walk rate improvements he's made. Um, power, I think, is probably the hardest to know. And we'll just have to watch and hope that the power gains he made this year are, are real. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think that's, that's fair to say. I like, Solaire as well. That's probably easy to say. Um, I saw a comment on Kylie's post that said, you know, your feelings. I would say I'm going to say this even rest of season uh, and include the fact that Baez is eligible at shortstop for our fantasy purposes. Um, Javier Baez, rest of season and then career. For fantasy. How valuable? Which, would I which, which one? Baez or Solaire? Yeah. Um. Hmm. I mean, just me with all my biases in place, and uh, and the and the fact that I often uh, go for floor over ceiling, and and um, you know, I, I try not to over over uh, emphasize uh, position too much. I would go with Solaire because you know, better strikeout rate, more chance of a, a better batting average, um, similar power upside. You know, the speed and position go to Baez, but um, I'm always really wary of guys that uh, might hit 215. I mean, I guess in the in in the sort of short span that we're talking about, the last month, okay, I'll take Baez because he's you're you've probably made your decision in terms of batting average on your team. If you if you're if your batting average is super close, then you want to go still there. But if um, if your batting average is mostly determined by now, then I guess Baez is the way to go. It's just if you were talking at the beginning of the season, I would have said Solaire. Yeah, fair enough. And you know, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, Baez fan myself. But um, it, and he's it, striking out 42 percent of the time. Right, right. It is, it is even, it is even a little worse than I, I think I expected 
Um, I still think that there's hope that he can, can lower that considerably compared to other players who have that kind of strikeout rate. I kind of think that's a similar case for George Springer in that I think that he can lower that more than the average true hacker. But still, when you're talking about that, he's still these guys are still going to end up in buckets with guys with huge strikeout rates. Uh, and it does scare me. And so probably I, maybe I was a little more optimistic. Rest, uh, rest of the season, I would, yeah, I would tend to lean with Baez. I think you're, yeah, I, I totally agree with your assessment there. And career now, I guess I'm not so sure. And it's interesting too, because Baez was still kind of, I think I want to say he was considered, you know, basically a top 20 prospect by a lot of different outlets, whereas Solaire is kind of more in the 50s range. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, that kind of goes to show you that those prospect lists are really, um, Incredibly, incredibly uh, volatile, and I think people sometimes look at those things and think way too much of those rankings, which I've I've definitely learned not to do that so much. Yeah, but the yearly they still have differences in bus rates. I mean, right. if you just look at the at the at the yearly list as opposed to sort of all the updates that are done, um, you know, there's still a difference between a, a top twenty position player uh, bus rate is around forty, and a top fifty is is over fifty percent. So I mean. You know, as as often as those prospect lists uh, fail, um, and as often as the pros, I mean, it's more as often as the prospects on those lists fail, and uh, as often as it seems like they're very volatile and there's so many different lists and they don't mean that much. Um, in effect, they they do do a decent job of finding, and I, you know what, I suspect that they do a really good job of finding us the stars, because when we talk about bust rates on prospect lists, we talk about uh, I was thinking about this the other day. We talked about 50% bust rate um, for, for most of the top 100 prospects. So that means to me, on, on one side I say, wow, that means half of baseball is made up of non-prospects, you know? <laughs> but I think, you know, it's not, the, it's, it's not necessarily the half that's the stars, you know? I think for the most part, a lot of the stars are, you know, it would be interesting to look at that um, at that percentage of the stars out there that were never prospects because you know you hear about those guys all the time oh he was never a prospect now he's a star um and i think that's still the exception rather than a 50 50 percent thing you know what i mean oh yeah absolutely i would agree with that yeah that's that's that that seems fairly safe to say too i mean we get i mean you think about it's because maybe we've gotten used to already thinking about these guys as such as the clayton kershaw steven strasberg etc etc who've been thrust in our faces the top prospects for a while and they're now they're you know Kershaw is clearly the best pitcher in baseball and we forget that he was you know, I mean like how many of these guys were top prospects as well yeah I think I think it, you know if you're talking about stars and for fantasy stars are are hugely important so yeah uh, for sure I think it still makes sense for fantasy owners to sort of focus on because I, I you know the thing of a guy like Joe Panic. Joe Panic was never a top 100 prospect uh, and so he's going to be part of that 50% of baseball that is was never a prospect and, and is going to be probably a productive major leaguer. Uh, yeah, but Joe Panic is not really going to be a productive fantasy player. You know, he's not he's not going to really he might be a Scudero type where like you know he has a couple seasons where he has a 330 batting average and he's a you know you know a, a second ha- you know a, a, a top 10 you know, second baseman or something, but I don't think he'll ever be a top three second baseman. And, you know, it's the top three of the positions that make the world go round in fantasy. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, it's worth, uh, you know, acquiring Baez even right now, you know, if you believe in his upside 
Um, you know, there could be an owner that's saying, well, yeah, I see the seven homers, but I also see the 42% strikeout rate and, you know, the 207 batting average, and uh, I'm willing to trade him away to, for a shot at the title this year or something. You know, that would still make sense because Baez has the upside, uh, you know, to, to really drive your team, whereas Panic doesn't really. That is true, and um, I hope no one chooses Joe Panic over Javier Baez at any point. <laughs> definitely true. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, Solaire, but this is definitely a guy I think you – for the most part, this is this is a guy who should draw some interest. I'm I'm going to check it out to see if he's available in Tout Wars because uh, why the hell not? Who d- I got Mookie Bet. <laughs> I am jealous. I am jealous. I put in for Connor Gillespie, perhaps a little misguided, but I I could use more help in in RBIs than I think Bets would provide, and not to say I that Gillespie is. I might have the worst outfield in the history of Tout <laughs> but I now I have Mookie Bets. And I really need to get out of last place, and it's not looking good for me. It's not, uh, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say anything more about Missing that. Missing a whole week of stats really uh, put a hole in my boat. That is, that's that's a that's a very tough. It's a very tough thing uh, to get out of. So, say you're picking up a Jorge Soler, and you're looking for a player to drop. Um, do you think? I don't think this is a. This is even really that big of a question to ponder at this point. But uh, is it time to drop David Wright uh, rest of rest of season in a redrafter? He might be the guy, the kind of guy you would look to drop to pick up a Sol- Solaire potentially. Do you? I mean, do you agree? Do you think it's time to drop David Wright in a redrafter? You know, Wright has these stinkers every now and then. I mean, he and it's usually somewhat related to injuries. So in 2011, he played 102 games. You know, hit 14 homers, had 13 stolen bases, and had a 254 average. So he's done this before, and um, you know, it's it's always it's a possibility with his skill set. I don't think he has. He's a good five tooler uh, for the most part, but he doesn't necessarily have any one elite tool, um, other than perhaps sort of play discipline. But um, you know, so I I think that. Uh, this was a possibility for him. I think that he'll have a little bit of a bounce back the next year. I'm, I'm worried that he'll never steal more than 10 bases again. Um, but, um, it, you know, in terms of dropping this season, if you're setting up the situation now where you can drop him for Solaire and you've got some sort of third base um, situation, you know, you know, replacement in, in mind, then that's okay. But I was looking at, uh, you know, the list of available third basemen in my uh, in my shallowest league, so let's say I had David Wright in this league, um, and I was looking to to drop him for a third baseman because I you know want to do one for one. Uh, Casey McGee, uh, Brock Holt, Yangarvis uh, Solarte, David Fries, Trevor Plouffe. Uh, no thanks, you know. Not for I, uh, I keep David Wright over that group. Not for McGee. Not for McGee. It's an empty batting average. I mean, what can he's what driving, is a two ninety? He's driving in runs as opposed. To, I mean, that's not something that Wright is even doing. I mean, I think I think you can make the the argument, especially because I mean, that's here's to me is like, and I was looking at, um, I mean, I just yeah, I went into, I'm in an ESPN league, which uh, isn't the the best, uh, but anyway, I. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> And and just looked so just, yeah I'm gonna jump in and see who's uh, who's owned and unowned and what you know ownership percentages and McGee is McGee is largely owned in in uh, in ESPN league so I'm a little surprised that he's available in yours uh, but it is empty batting average it, it, a lot of it depends on forty forty eight percent Yahoo okay um, 
Yeah, and then there's like there's Brock Holt, Pedro Alvarez eligible at third base is available in little more as little less than half leagues. Um, Chase Headley, Lonnie Chisenhall, was, oh, who is Pedro still Alvarez is probably Pedro Alvarez is platooning. So if you pick him up, you gotta you gotta have pick somebody else up too. Yeah, potentially, but I mean he, here's Holt has playing time issues from time to time. You know the, the name I was sort of looking at was Castellanos, which. Castellanos, I, I feel like is very is a very hard player to figure out. I mean, he strikes out so much, but he has a lot of line drives. Um, you know, him and Chisenhall, uh, you know, there's a little bit of power there, and decent batting average. You know, I guess I could see you know potentially reaching for one of those. You know, they they could give you at least what David Wright's doing um, right now, but um, well, here- you know, I'll probably just go down with my with my guns. You know. I guess here's the way I see it is right. This is Wright's slash line since the all-star break is 215, 269, 230. I mean, he has a 0.015 ISO since the all-star break, and he's been dealing with shoulder pain. We've known it's been documented for a couple of months now. I think that it's pretty easy to correlate the two things. Uh, and maybe I'm jumping to conclusions, but they talk – I mean, the hitting coach has talked about it. Uh, I mean, he Wright says it's not an issue for him. It doesn't affect him, but clearly that – can't seem to be the case. I mean, to me, I would I would opt for a player who's producing and say, look, like even if right, even if right gets past some shoulder pain, I mean, he's been dealing with something in his, um, uh, what is that thing in the shoulder? I can't remember. Well, anyway, it's uh, the the rotator cuff. I think he's been dealing with something uh, specific in that to begin with for quite some time. Um, I want a guy that I know is is at least is is at least healthy, and I think even if right gets rid of some shoulder pain, he's still got um, something that's going to inhibit him from producing what I'm usually expecting from Wright. So I like, I want a guy, like I would take McGee. I I would do that in a heartbeat. I would do, um, I wouldn't do a Chisenhall per se, but I would, I would at least consider, I mean, Chisenhall has totally gone in the tank in the last month, month and a half, but like a a Castellanos I would do because he's healthy. Um, Solarte, I would consider. I mean, if he's hot, but like, and I, look- I mean, ideally, I'd like to keep. You know, I'd like to keep uh, right around. I mean, just in terms of the what you know his upside to be, uh, he's probably not going to get there. I mean, what I would like to do is drop a bench player. Like, let's say I had um, an extra outfielder, you know, that I was just trying to get extra at bats out of or something. You know, I would easily do something where I pick up McGee for that guy. Uh, and put right on the bench, you know, I, but I guess, you know, in a redraft, I, I tend to play in a lot of keeper and uh, dynasty leagues. So I do know that my biases tend, uh, you know, push me towards being super patient, keeping guys on my roster as long as possible. The way I play is kind of like, um, the, maybe the A's or the Rays where I just want to keep everybody I can. I want to keep right until they put them on the DL so I can put them on the DL, you know? I want to keep uh, I want to keep all of my roster slots with the highest upside guys as long as possible, and I, and I still count Wright as having what may more way more upside than McGee or Chisenhall or Cassiano. So, you know that's 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 my thinking process. But in a redraft, you know, if there's a month left. You got to be you're scratching and clawing for all of your all of your uh, your your stats. Um, and if if you if you can make any if you can make headway in any one stat, like let's say. So McGee would be your pick if you could get somewhere in batting average. I guess uh, Castellanos would be our pick 
if you could get somewhere with a couple more homers. I would. Ta- um, I would. I still think I might take Alvarez um, there. Alvarez for the homers. Yeah, that's pretty good. Maybe even with the lost time, or maybe you can pick up Alvarez and another guy, um, and just try to get the most out of that. Yeah, I think Alvarez Castellanos would be an interesting uh, pair to sort of pick up in place of Wright and somebody. Yeah, I think. I mean, you put it. That's where you were headed, or that's that's where you ended up. Is like you said. I mean, redrafter. There's four and a half weeks left in the season. Like, I don't. I don't see much upside left with Wright. Like, mm. I want, I want production, and especially because I mean, there's a lot online. The head head leagues, I don't think you can count on Wright. And I mean, in the, in the league where you're you're vying for a legitimate uh, a money spot or something like that. I mean, I want, I, I want, or I need production, and I don't think. I I mean, I just I see there's to me there's enough reason to think that Wright is not going to supply it, even if he starts to turn the corner in terms of health. He's been sitting out. I mean. There's no the the Mets are clearly not in position for a playoff spot. There's no reason to push him anyway if this becomes an issue that they decide to take a look at medically. I don't see I don't see any reason to keep him around. And if I can get a guy, if I can get if I can get one of the types of players we talked about. I mean, if I if I'm resorting to a maybe a Trevor Plouffe or somebody like a David Freeze who has just not produced. But and I mean I bring it up too because I mean I started to see like there's been drops on ESPN. I mean for the first time like in the last week has. Ownership percentage has gone down 2.4% from 100. Uh, it, it's clear that people are starting to consider this, but still not really considering it. And I think it's maybe something that was, it's, it's, it's start, I think it's worth starting to encourage people to do so, at least in a redrafter. We're definitely in a redrafter, not keeper leagues. I wouldn't, and I'm, I'm the same way. I want to hold on to guys for as long as possible. That seems, tends to be the way I right. do it too. Moving on to uh, Gregory Polanco, who was optioned. Uh, he's won for his last 30. Uh, this we advocated just probably several weeks ago to hang on to a guy like this. Uh, does this discourage you? I mean, he's he's going to be back up in a week or two. And uh, so it's just, first of all, I mean, in a, in a shallow league, there's no reason to have kept him around. But uh, how, how much does this uh, dim, uh, well, dim his star for you in terms of that? I mean, I, it, I'm not discouraged in the least, really. Uh, this kind of thing happens. It's like Starling Marte's second year, but already kind of to me is the way I look at it. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I actually didn't think that uh, his uh, his stats looked that far off. I mean, I didn't think that he looked like he was struggling too bad. I mean, yeah, he has a 241 batting average, but he's a 9% walk rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a better uh, strikeout rate than league average. Uh, he's stolen 12 bases, so he was, you know, he'd done it... Uh, you know, fairly well. I mean, he only been caught four times. So, you know, I don't really see what the problem was. Like maybe, you know, the right, he has a small sample, uh, negative defensive numbers. Maybe, uh, they saw some things, uh, on defense that, um, sort of eroded from his value, uh, on offense. Uh, and yeah, his, you know, weighted runs created is below average, but, um, you know, it's not that far below average. And he had a 277 Babbitt. So, you know, give him a 300 Babbitt. I think he might be right at, um, league average in terms of offense and he's supposed to be a good defender so um, you would have a guy that would add on the base pass not be a zero at the plate uh, and and in in you know supposedly add defense so I I, I don't find his star that diminished and I would uh, go and acquire him if uh, his owner uh, was frustrated by what he saw yeah I to- totally agree totally agree Oscar Tavares reportedly has made some huge adjustments at the plate. Um, I guess uh, it, it makes me a little it makes me a little concerned to say that they maybe already needed to make uh, to make 
whatever you want to call it, huge adjustments. But um, and we talked about him a little bit on previous programs. Um, I guess my question becomes: I mean, they they say they're already seeing results. Uh, part of this is looks to be um, he's nine for twenty-two, <laughs> so it's a small sample thing. And they think that he's no longer trying to, you know, he's just swinging and trying to drive the ball out of the ballpark every single time. Um, I mean, this I, I've certainly read some reasons to think that Tavares' uh, star was a little uh, higher in the sky than perhaps it deserved to be. Um, is this is this something that would uh, highly encourage you, or is this? Uh, I mean, granted, he's also he's still a very young player, and this is this is the kind of thing where if they continue to make adjustments, we talked about possibilities like this with players like John Singleton. This is something that can easily still take root, and slowly we can see the positive effects of this. So. Um, does this, is this the kind of thing that would really encourage you or is this just kind of another thing to, I mean, to me, uh, it strikes me based on what I've read about it, it's a little bit, uh, more noise than news, but, uh, uh, I'm, I'm certainly willing to be convinced otherwise. Yeah, I'll take the last point first, which is, uh, how much, how much of this is noise because, um, you know, he has a 5.4% swing strike rate for the year. And, uh, I looked, I just looked at his swinging strike rate, uh, for the last 14 days. Um, and it's 4.6. So, uh, yeah, he's making a little bit more contact, but it hasn't led to a smaller, uh, strikeout rate. You know, his strikeout rate over the last 14 days is 16%. Uh, and a strikeout rate for the season is 16%, basically. So he hasn't really cut the strikeout rate. He's making a little bit more contact. Um, but you know, if I looked at his line, I would not think that uh, strikeout rate was the real problem here. I mean, right? That's... Uh, a 16% uh, c- a strikeout rate is, is above average. Um, I would say that in the future, he'd probably have the upside to better that 16% because a 5% swing strike rate is great. I mean, we're talking about Joe Panic. He has the same swing strike rate as Joe Panic, and Joe Panic's game is is all about making contact. So. Um, here's a guy who makes enough contact, is going to put himself in better counts to not uh, strike out in the future. And I would be uh, talking to him about how we can get more power out of that bat. Right. That's uh, what I want to know is is where where, where is some power because that hasn't really shown up at all. And not that I need this guy to hit 10 home runs for the rest of the season. But, um, I mean, a couple of doubles a week would probably be <laughs> kind of more inspiring, I think. Yeah, for what it's worth, um, you know, we can't forget that 2012 happened. I think from what I've seen, um, a lot of the analysis that points to um, Tavares being um, not as exciting as as he might have first appeared uh, sort of cuts off the analysis at 2013. And they're like, oh, over the last two years at AAA, he's basically – had a weighted runs created that's about 10% better than league average combined, um, you know, with about average power and uh, decent contact ability. And uh, that doesn't, that's not the best profile. But if you, if you just reach back a little bit further into 2011, 2012, he had plus power with plus contact rate. Uh, and the two of those things together is, is pretty rare. So I think the upside's still in there. Um, and the team, uh, for what it's worth, uh, made some moves that um, suggest that they believe in him. Right. I mean, this is not the Cardinals are not a team that usually take young guys. Uh, I mean, they did. They're doing it now with Wong. 
Um, and you could say that they did it with Carpenter. So, but the Carpenter's not young. Carpenter, when they finally gave him a chance, was 28 or 20, something like that, 27, 28. And they've done that with a lot of guys. David Freeze came up when he was 27, 28. They'd take a lot of college guys. Alan Craig came up when he was 28. They take a lot of college guys in the draft because they don't pick as high. Um, and they like polished bats and they, and they bring up these polished bats slowly. Um, and they give them a lot of time in my leagues. And then finally, when there's a little bit of an opening, they give it to them. This is a little bit different. They traded a, a, a veteran away, um, that played his position and they gave him a shot at 22 years old. So this is a little bit more how they treated Pujols, a little bit more, uh, how they've been dealing with Wong. Um, this suggests to me they believe in him. Um, and, uh, he's a, he was a top two prospect, uh, going into the season. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely true. Uh, it's, 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 it's seemingly very rare that they make commitments to play, uh, well, outside commitments in terms of, uh, moves related to other players that they make commitments to players like this. I mean, they didn't do it with a player like a Colby Rasmus they had, uh, doubts about. I mean, they always, they always, even if, uh, even, even if they bring up young players, they always are looking to hedge their bets. Uh, and it, yeah. it looks like they're doing that less so with Tavares and that's it's Tavares especially. And I think that is encouraging. And I still agree. There's, I, I do like the upside. I think it's, yeah, I would like to see the power start showing up. But like you said, 2013 and you're, I was you know, talking specifically about the health issues related to, I mean, serious, yeah. serious angle sprain. Uh, yeah. So 2013 is a bit of a, like to focus too much on 2013 is, is, is doing him a disfavor. I mean, Dude, dude was hurt, right? You know, and uh, and that was a pretty bad ankle injury. If you take that line out, uh, then the lowest runs re- weighted runs created he showed in the minor leagues was 22, um, and that was in AAA. So, and that was 262 plate appearances. So you're gonna ignore, you know, you're gonna you're gonna talk about those 262 plate appearances that were 20 percent better than league average, uh, but you're not gonna talk about the 530 plate appearances he did at AA where he was 60 percent better than league average. So, you know, there's definitely uh, a little bit of picking and choosing going on here, I think. And, um, uh, I still like him a lot. I, I just, I, I fall a little bit for a good contact rate with, with good power upside. And it's, 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 that's the rare package where you get a 300 hitter, uh, that can hit 30 home runs. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I will say that I'm a skeptic as to whether he'll hit 30 home runs, but, uh, I think it's def- I mean, it's, I won't put it outside their own possibility. Um, as a, no, at I'm, least a parental. I'm not necessarily saying that he's that guy, but I'm right. saying, that's 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 what I'll fail. I, I will fail falling. I'll fall for that. That's what I, <laughs> I love. You know, you'll be waiting I, at his doorstep with a bouquet of roses. Right. You know, like I don't I won't bring roses to Baez. You know, <laughs> I know he's got that nice, you know, powerful swing. He swings hard ever. But I want I want the next Albert Pujols. I want yes. the guy who's going to, you know, walk 12 percent, strike out 10 percent. And hit 30 home runs. That's the guy that makes my insides feel all funny. <laughs> That's that is uh, that is certainly fair. I mean, yeah, I would I would I would still opt to give a bouquet of roses to Varus as opposed to, uh, and I would give only I would consider giving a single rose to Baez. And again, like I do, I do still like me a little bit of Baez. Um, Pedro Alvarez, single rose. <laughs> the single rose sounds a little bit more sexy, dude. Ah, uh, that's true. It does. It's supposed to mean it's like you're taking them to a dance. Uh, yeah. All right, well, I'm going to reevaluate what I plan to give these guys uh, before I stop by the florist. 
Pedro Alvarez, we already talked about. I mean, he maybe maybe the move for, for, to first base for him turns out to be a positive. It's it's a super short sample size, but he's hit a few home runs. That's encouraging. Texas has also called up uh, Michael Choice and Tomas Talis. I hope I said his name correctly uh, because Shinsu Chu is, has a bone spur in his elbow, and he is sounds like he's out for the rest of the season. Giovanni Soto also dealt, so he's gone. Uh, Talis is a catcher. He might, I mean, he might be like a guy you throw a buck at in an AL only league. He might be, he, he's interesting. It's not clear that uh, he's totally going to be a backup. So Texas wants to get a look at him. He has, he has future potential empty batting average written yeah, all I over mean, him. He makes, he makes <laughs> more contact than most, uh, than most catchers for sure. Right. And uh, Choice, of course, we've talked about him before. He is not exciting in the least anymore in fantasy terms. Which is sad when you're a guy in Texas and you have no excitement to you whatsoever. <laughs> Sean Dooley. Well, I just wanted to mention on Talese, uh Jorge Alfaro is the, uh, the the jewel when it comes to catching in the uh, Texas organization. By the end of the year, he'll have uh, 100, 120 at-bats in double-A. So Alfaro is on track to at least see some time with the Rangers next year. Um, so even if Talese does well, he probably... Uh, you know, has about two years where he can make an impact. And even then, uh, you know, he doesn't profile as the kind of guy that would necessarily make that impact. I think, you know, they'd probably be looking at buying another uh, short-term veteran next year. Yeah, well, that's, uh, like that's, actually what my, that's, actually, that's actually what my post about was about today, uh, was uh, about the Rangers catcher situation, like kind of the, in the one-year to two-year window. I think, I mean, I actually personally think that uh, Alfaro, Alfaro is um, – I don't think we see him at all next year, for instance. And Kylie's Kylie's post on uh, in talking about the Rangers prospects, he was uh, he was not real kind to Al Faro. Not that he would, it was a, a negative endorsement or anything like that, but um, I, he's super raw and athletic. I mean, I've right. seen him. He's, he's definitely not refined. And catchers take a little bit longer. They have the, the the oldest debut age of any position. Right. So I think I think that we're looking at kind of 2016 at the earliest for him. But uh, I mean. I think Robinson and Robinson Chirinos, I think that there's there's reason to think because he's been very good for them defensively that he might be. I, I mean, I think he's a kind of the acceptable band-aid with Talese, maybe uh, at least perform uh, kind of forming some kind of platoon or backup uh, starter role for at least a year plus for them. It'd be an interesting situation, but uh, it is going to be interesting to see. They have a lot of other needs, so I think that it, it would just it would behoove Texas not to spend any money on catcher if they can afford to, and maybe those guys give them a chance to do it. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, Sean Doolittle's fill-in is uh, projected to be Eric O'Flaherty, and he was warming up in what would have been a save opportunity last night until the A's dropped five more runs uh, <clears throat> uh, when the Astros and. Uh, this is because Oakland wants to keep other guys in roles. Eric O'Flaherty, I think, has never actually recorded a save in his life. So, does this concern you? And he's pitched only something like 13 innings since he's come back from the disabled list. He's never done it before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that... But he's a good pitcher. I mean, let's be real. That part doesn't bother me right. as much right. as uh, the fact that he has a below-average strikeout rate for a reliever over the last three over the last three years. And yeah, he does back that up with good command and a lot of uh, balls on the ground, but that's not necessarily what you. And it's not the yes. it's not the velocity I know that you look for, for instance, either. Yeah, uh, and it's not it's not the closer. Uh, it's not the closer. This is this is a little bit of a Joe Smithy kind of kind of closer situation, and they 
they obviously as uh, as often as they put Joe Smith in the in the uh, the role, they didn't really keep him there. Um, you know, in terms of splits, um, you know, he's not that good against righties. I mean, everything that he does against lefties, he does better. Uh, he does worse against righties. His walk rate nearly doubles. Uh, his strikeout rate falls. His FIP goes from 280 against lefties to 380 against F, uh, against righties. Um, and uh, you know, he can keep the ground ball rate up against uh, righties. That's the one thing he can do. So uh, he can still get grounders from righties. Uh, maybe he can he can sweat his way through some uh, right-handed saves. I bet you they'll do uh, a little mixing and matching. Um, you know, Gregerson with all of his different sliders uh, is still a useful guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they're. I don't. The, the, the keep them in their roles idea is just uh, is a little bizarre to me. I know Ryan Cook has been struggling recently, but um, he's the guy I would pick um, if I didn't. If I hadn't heard anything from the team, I mean, 94 mile an hour gas, uh, good strikeout rate, uh, not the best command of his career, but uh, still, still doing pretty well. So yeah, I like Cook. Cook would be my would be my thing, but I think maybe what they're thinking is this is gonna be a two week thing. Yeah, uh, we're talking about three or four saves. We'll get O'Flaherty in there. Maybe we'll keep Gregerson in our back pocket or Cook in our back pocket. Um, and if he struggles against a couple of righties, we, we throw Cook out there. So yeah. not, nothing that they need to worry about. They're not making a big change. They're just trying to get through two weeks and get Doolittle back. Yeah, I think that's. I think if they, yeah, that's exactly. I think that if they had been looking at any longer period, um, then O'Flaherty would probably not be the guy. I mean, he's he's not even pitched 25 innings total this year. He's coming off some serious injury here. So it's it, it is a little surprising to me that they just kind of throw him in there. It's got to be only because they view it as totally a short term thing to me, but. Um, Detroit ch- uh, claims Ch- Chad Qualls, and I saw that today you played the uh, if they work out a deal and Qualls moves to to Detroit. So, how do you think it plays out there in Houston? And I think, I mean, fantasy owners got to think, yeah, Josh Fields. And you also think Tony Sip is 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 uh, potentially in the mix. You know, I don't think that he gets moved. I think that that um, you know he's under contract next year for three point five million. You know, uh, they don't, you know, Fulty, um, Jesus, I, am I really going to say his name? Uh, how about Fulty? Fultinowitz? Uh, yeah, Fultinowitz. Uh, has a lot of gas, but uh, no command of where it's going. Um, you know, Fields has had his issues as well. Uh, Chapman has no idea where the ball's going. Uh, it's just, it's a really bad bullpen. It's, by ERA, it's the worst bullpen in the majors. And Qualls is the only sort of cromulent guy in there. And to have him, you know, plugged in as the closer next year for 3.5 million is not, is not terrible. And, you know, the Astros at some point want to show their fan base and want to show baseball that they're improving. Um, so, nah. you know, they, you know, they, they don't, they can't build forever. Um, and the kind of prospect you get for a year of Chad Qualls is probably not an impact prospect. Um, and, uh, and if it's, if it's just another reliever arm that's three years away, why not keep the guy you got now? Because in three years, one of your starters will have failed and you can put him in the bullpen or one of your other bullpen arms is going to make it. So, um, you know, I, I think that, I think the highest likelihood is they keep him. And the second highest likelihood to me is that Josh Fields takes over because he's right-handed. He has the gas. He has the strikeout rate. He was supposed to be the closer to the beginning of the year. And he's under team control for four or five more years. And 
you know, Tony Sip is left-handed, doesn't really throw with gas, doesn't really have this. I mean, he has a pretty good strikeout. He's the same as, as Fields, but he's left-handed, doesn't really throw with gas, and is, uh, his last year of team control is next year. Yeah. I have a problem with left-handers anyway, not because of fantasy baseball or anything to do with baseball. I just really don't care for them. <laughs> Koji Uehara is blowing safe. Oh, actually, I wanted to talk real quick, too. Uh, I mean, I agree. I think it seems likelier than not that, that Houston's able to deal him. Um, what what do you think it happens in Detroit? I mean, the way Joe Nathan is still to me, it's like you know, we talked about this only briefly on Sunday. Uh, Say Qualls ends up there, Soria coming back from the disabled list also sometime this week, and Joe Nathan continues to stink. Detroit has to be considered desperate at this point to even try to make the playoffs. Got to make a switch at some point, right? And then who do you think? I mean, it seems likely to me that Soria ends up being. A, yeah. A better choice there, but I mean, maybe it could also out for Qualls because he's quote unquote been doing it. Maybe that matters to one of them. Yeah. I doubt that, but <laughs> yeah, just I, you know, you have to also think about if if they are the kind of person that cares about you know he's been a closer, then they'll also care about name value, and then they'll they'll sign very little name value to check Qualls. That is true. <laughs> that is true. That's how I would see it. Yeah. Okay, uh, Koji Uehara, blowing saves like nobody's business. It's only been, I think, uh, his last three opportunities, I want to say. Um, and he's been rough in his last uh, three of his last four. But uh, at least he didn't give up any runs in the previous uh, appearance against the Blue Jays. He gave up only one hit, actually. I think it must have been a basis-clearing double, and he got the both outs. Uh, is this, but overall, I mean, we talked about this is a guy who relies – Heavily on what's a very good splitter doesn't have the type of velocity you talk about. Is this is this just kind of a blip on the radar for uh, Anuehara, who's given up a lot of hits this month as well, which is always kind of a little interesting to me. But and he does always he has a little bit of the old man thing uh, potentially going for him. He does also have the, uh, the significant injury history. Is there anything that concerns you about that? I, uh, I have, I'm uh, I'm actually checking out the pitch effects data now for his recent uh, outing, so I haven't uh, yet come to my conclusion. But uh, I'm interested to see what you think about him. There's no there's no difference in his release points. They're remarkably well clustered. Um, you know, just going back uh, the last four or five outings uh, to earlier in the season, uh, he throws from the same uh, slot. You know, every every time he's out there, so. Um, I don't see uh, like a real difference in uh, uh, well earlier this month against the Cardinals there was a little bit of a blip but uh, for the most part he's his his uh, his pitches are really well clustered same point minus one six every time so um, I think he's uh, I think he's okay from that standpoint his velocity's been bad all year uh, he's down to eighty. Seven ish from eighty nine ish, and uh, you know I'd heard I'd heard uh, also that he was that he was feeling tired, um, you know from uh, you know you know last year was his career high in innings so um, I, I you know I, I could see the team uh, finding a, a two day a two week vacation for him I mean um, if they do want to sign him then they have every reason to watch out for his arm. Um, and if they don't want to sign him, they have every reason to audition guys that might, uh, you know, might be in end of bullpen uh, situations next year. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, 
That's, I think that's, that's definitely looks like it's something to consider. It seems like they do like him quite a bit. It'd be interesting to see what kind of contract they'd be willing to offer him. For instance, it sounds like they talked about um, not uh, that that they're an outside. They have an outside chance yeah. to bring back John Lester, for instance. So uh, maybe are they are they willing to do that? But at the same time, you do somebody when somebody in the back of the bullpen. If you're going to go with a fairly young pitching staff, the way it looks like they may be shaping up to go next year. Yeah, I don't, you know, if they if they do make the switch, uh, or if he does go on the disabled list, you know, Badenhop, Badenhop uh, <laughs> has the most holds, and Tom Lane has figured in. But those guys are not um, your closer material. I think it's still uh, Tazawa um, that profiles correctly with the right uh, high strikeout rate and. Um, you know, 94 mile an hour gas. So I think it would be Tazawa. Um, and I just want to make sure, uh, I'll be wrong about that one. You don't want to, uh, you don't want to go for a, an Edward Mojica who was, uh, totally dazzled us with his 428 ERA to go along with a 378 XFIP. <laughs> uh, I mean, he has three saves this year, but he also isn't really factoring into, Lever, yeah. high lever situations otherwise yeah. that's usage is number one right i just i don't see that there uh i just want to make sure that way was a free agent he is yeah. uh the, the option was for this year yeah so um you know they have a choice to make and uh they might be able to get you know more information by sitting way and uh and uh and looking uh at tozawa yeah, that is. I think that is. It is a. Uh, it's a possibility, albeit a. It seems like a remote one, but it'll be interesting to see how that shapes up. Uh, Derek Holland expected back next week. We talked about him before. He's he's a mixed league streamer, maybe. I uh, you know, kind of a streamer plus, I think, in a fifteen team mixed league, or at least a potential to be. But I'd be wary about how he finishes the season since he hasn't pitched in a major league game in a year. Use Mira Pettit to start on Thursday in place of Tim Lincecum. Uh, does this give you a sad face? I mean, it does just because, you know, talking to Lincecum, it's obvious that he knows uh, that his, you know, his career is at a crossroads and he, he's trying to, to change and he's trying to figure it out. So um, I, I feel badly for a pitcher in his situation. I mean, it, it, the way that he set it up uh, to me in that conversation was basically, um, he has to do his best without command. Mm-hmm. And I think that what you find when you look across pitching is that guys with command um, do a lot better as their careers go on. I mean, just think about Dan Heron. I think Dan Heron is probably the least overwhelming stuff um, out there right now. And yet he's he's plugging right along um, and, uh, and he's probably going to get another contract offer next year. So... Um, Unless I, he might have signed a two-year deal, I you know sometimes I can't stay on top of that sort of thing. But um, you know, Derek Holland, uh, back to him real quick. You know, it, he's an interesting guy because of, in our discussions about changeups and stuff, because he's he doesn't really throw the changeup a lot, and he doesn't really throw the curveball a lot. So he's maybe one of the few uh, you know true fastball slider guys out there, like a Pineda. Um, and uh, you, you know, talked about years the, the master, yeah. the Masterson. I was, you know, it's interesting yeah. you mentioned that. Uh, sorry to cut you off, but uh, Miles Mikolos to me is still a guy that kind of intrigues me a little bit, even though he has a terrible 
uh, terrible results that uh, he might be a fastball slider guy. But I'm not saying that he's going to be any good. But uh, because he maybe he ends up in the Justin Masterson class where he has a good year or two. Um, but from the left side, that seems even more unusual to me. Is that such yeah. a talent? Yeah, yeah, because – and that actually might – you know, maybe that means it's not as big a deal because he's had to get through righties his whole career. So, um, you know, whatever he's figured out with that slider, uh, he must have been doing it for a long time, you know. But, uh, what, you know, what, the fact remains it's, you know, 780 innings in, 430 ERA, 133 whip. You know, mediocre strikeout rate or, you know, league average strikeout rate for a starter. A uh, little bit better than league average control. More home runs than league average, you know, given his home park. That's not surprising. So, um, yeah, he had that good 2013. Um, I think that represents his upside. Um, and that, that whip, the 129 whip is not very good. So, right. You know, if he came, if he come back, if he came back and pitched to his upside immediately, that would be that would be surprising. Uh, but if next year he came and pitched to his upside, that would be less surprising. So, uh, you know, I think he still has the upside of like a three six ERA, one three WHIP, uh, seven to eight strikeouts per nine. But um, he's going to be projected for a four ERA again. Mm-hmm. Totally understandable. <clears throat> uh, also. Just for the the newsy and notesies, uh, Starlin Castro back from the disa- uh, I'm sorry from the bereavement list. Uh, that's some positive news. Adam Eaton also activated from the disabled list, uh, coming back from the strained oblique. And sounds like sounds like we have the essential replacement for uh, uh, because uh, well Holland moving into the rotation sounds like uh, sometime in the next week or so uh, that you Darvish is out for the rest of the season probably. And that's purely precautionary move, I think, from Texas' standpoint, seeing as how they're uh, in no position to concern themselves with the rest of the season standings. Yeah. You know, I think Eaton could be a decent, uh, you know, Chu's on his way out. Chu's had, Chu had uh, season-ending surgery. I feel like Eaton is an interesting uh, possible uh, replacement for him. Mm-hmm. I know that, you know, Chu owners probably were hoping for more power than Eaton has, but it, we are getting into the power months, and he is in a power park. It, you know, it wouldn't be crazy to see him run into two or three more over the rest of the season, um, and uh, and steal four or five more. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to find uh, guys with with a little bit of power and a little bit of speed. And I, I know I'm stretching a little bit. I mean, he's 414 plate appearances in with one home run, but <laughs> he did have uh, more of a power history in the minors. So I don't think he's without power completely. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Uh, since since we do and we have a little time here, I want to talk about a, uh, at least one requested topic. Uh, we've been asked about the power outages, quote unquote, uh, is how I'll put it, uh, with Yasio Puig and Mark Trumbo, and I think that there are two distinctly different cases. Um, Puig, you talked about kind of when you uh, mentioning in uh, the Jorge, Jorge Soler uh, diatribe. Etc. That uh, he's a guy. I mean, he's clearly offers power. That isn't necessarily. I mean, he's hit 13 home runs this year and 500 plate appearances. Well, 453 at bats. Uh, I don't view this. I mean, I still. Uh, I see when I see Puig watching on TV. I still feel like at any time he could hit a home run. So, um, and perhaps I'm a little, a little misguided there. But the ISO is still 
up there big time. Like he's hitting a lot of extra base hits, period. Uh, is this, do you view this? And maybe part of it is just from a speed cat, but I mean, like I, when I've, I've seen him hit several triples, they all seem to be hit hard and, and deep into a gap. And he's, you know, he's legging it out that way as opposed to maybe something that he's smoked into a corner. Like, I mean, I still see this as a lot of power. Maybe it's just kind of one of those years where he has, he's, he's missed out on some just enoughs. Possibly, you know, I think the the unspoken or further part of that question was a little bit like, you know, how do we evaluate power outages in general, and, and what what do we have at our disposal when we when things like ISO take so long to to stabilize? Um, and I think that one thing you you can use is batted ball mix. And so if you look at at Puig's, you see that he hits a lot of ground balls. I mean, it. Uh, uh, 1.5 ground balls for fly balls this year, over 50% ground ball rate. Those are um, not the, the kind of things you normally see out of a power hitter. So uh, the good news for Puig in terms of keeper leagues and um, you know, you know how how this is going to work out for him in the future uh, is that uh, hitters generally hit fewer ground balls as they approach their peak. Um, so, you know, we can expect a couple more fly balls as we go forward. Uh, in terms of what it means for him rest of season, uh, let me just read some guys that are around, uh, where he is, uh, in terms of ground balls for fly balls. Um, you know, on the high end, you've got Eric Hosmer, you know, but closer to where he is in particular, uh, you've got, uh, let's see here, uh, Tori Hunter, uh, Yasiel Puig himself, Ian Desmond. Starling Castro, Hunter Pence, uh, Daniel Murphy. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I would say that in terms of where he is right now, he's showing about as much power as we can expect. Uh, 17 to 20 homer guy at most. Uh, but in terms of career arc, there's still more there. And I think that's where you, what you're talking about in terms of what we see when we look at him. That comes into play. He's still a big guy. Uh, he's still... Uh, what is it, 22 or 23? Um, he's, uh, he's 23 years old. So he's still pre-peak in terms of any sort of measure I've looked at. Um, and maybe two or three years pre-peak. So that's two or three years of, of fewer brown balls, more fly balls, uh, and a sort of general um, approach to, to a power peak. So I still think that uh, we could see a season where he hits 300, hits 25 homers, uh, and steals five bases, maybe even a thirty, a thirty, you know, five season. But you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna see a thirty, thirty season out of him because he's already started to uh, steal less, and he's not very good at it. Right. Yeah. Right. That's. Yeah. I would agree. And I, I, uh, yeah, I think, I think thirty, maybe thirty-five. I think it's, I think it's possible. Yeah, it's a few years down the road. Uh, it is something to think about with, uh, in, in respect to Resnick Castillo, actually, because Puig uh, obviously has a lot of raw speed, but. Um, you know, he didn't steal a ton of bases in Cuba. And what we've seen, and I just read this great Ben Badler piece on Baseball America about watching uh, baseball in Cuba. And one of the things that he says is that um, uh, that for some reason, uh, even though catchers are bad at uh, throwing uh, there for the most part, um, they don't steal bases as often there. And so they don't get um, the real refinement you need. Uh, in order to steal bases in the major league level. So he said, even though 
you know, a guy like Leonis Martin stole like 30 bases when he was over there. When he first came over here in the minor leagues, he had trouble stealing bases. Um, so you could see that out of Castillo where, um, he gets caught as often as he, as he, as he attempts. I mean, if you look at, uh, Puig's career, he's, he's 18 stolen bases, you know, successful and 15 he was caught. So even though he has great physical prowess and is a speedy guy, he hasn't been able to really figure it out. And you can also look at Alexi Ramirez. It might explain why Alexi Ramirez took so long to finally become a, you know, a good base dealer. Um, he had to really learn how it works in the major leagues. Um, so if Castillo is, is, you know, if Castillo shows the pop that some people think he can show, then it won't really matter how many bases he steals. But if Castillo doesn't show a lot of pop and, you know, strikes out a little bit too much and also doesn't steal bases, that's where you start seeing that, that, you know, bust, bust label coming out again. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Uh, something I, w- I didn't even think about, but, and you mentioned that it makes, I think that makes, uh, the own assessment is all a more interesting cases because, I mean, he came over and stole 16 of 20, 16 bases in 20 attempts in his first season, which was, you know, basically a full season, 129 games, and uh, kind of earned this or backed up this idea that he's uh, he's also going to be a guy who can give you double-digit steals uh, along with, you know, maybe the, the, the 15 to 20 home runs at least and at approach 25 home runs, even though, I mean, he was basically in his peak when he arrived. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's clearly totally dissipated since that year. Uh, and, I mean, I think at this point we cannot, unless he kind of has this Alexi Ramirez-like, and he's, of course, he doesn't bring nearly the same type of speed. Uh, I mean, he's, he's he has some speed, but he's not nearly the same type of speed. And is uh, unless he just kind of has this post-peak or late-peak realization of how to steal bases more efficiently is probably pretty much done contributing in that category reliably yeah so i wouldn't i wouldn't uh i wouldn't forecast Puig into you know a lot more stolen bits he is the youngest of the group uh and there could be this aspect of figuring out the league but i just don't think it's going to be a priority for him Mm -hmm. and the team's not necessarily aching to have him run more right now either yeah and uh and and Speaking of stolen bases, he also uh, this commenter also asked, "Is there any way to play the odds of stolen bases with guys like Rajay Davis and Ben Revere?" Uh, I mean, my thought is simply, uh, and this is something I was thinking about: is you know, is it possible to compile some kind of uh, database that you can quickly uh, kind of kind of assess these situations from from series to series or week to week? But I think some of this is going to have to. A lot of this, if you're trying to do this, has to do with the opposing catcher. And um, and the opposing pitcher. Yeah, yeah. And the, the problem with uh, Rajai Davis um, versus who's the other guy, Ben Revere? Yeah. The problem with Rajai Davis is that you really, I, I would say. Uh, Doesn't play every day? <laughs> yeah. What you really want to do is, is uh, put them in the right platoon situations so they're on base more often. Um, so put only play them when they have a platoon advantage. So in, in Rajai's case, that's really important. He's very much better against lefties than he is against righties. Unfortunately, that means he's up against lefties who usually have better pickoff moves. But I think in the history, Rajai Davis has shown that he can steal bases against left-handers. And the other thing uh, that you can do, and I usually do this right about now, so maybe I'll do it uh, next week for a post, is uh, look at streaming for steals in terms of uh, just look at the catchers. Uh, some catchers have noodles for arms. Um, and, you know, by looking at the catcher, you, for the most part, also 
uh, bring in the pitcher effects because a guy like Tim Lincecum, they all steal on him. You can also look at the pitcher. So you can look at the uh, pitchers. If you look at fielding um, and you look up pitcher fielding, you're, there's a way for you to look up stolen bases against um, on, on fan graphs. So you can look at which uh, which pitchers have the longest moves and give up the have the worst moves to first base and the longest uh, deliveries. Those guys will give up stolen bases. And if you could pair that with uh, the catchers who give up the most uh, stolen bases, which I think is on, is actually on our, is uh, actually yeah, it's on ours too. Uh, it's catcher defense standard. Um, then you can you can figure out that oh, uh, when it's Susak is catching Tim Lincecum, I really should uh, take you know whoever's you know Cameron Maven even uh, because he's he's probably going to take off against those two because Lincecum can't uh, you know keep runners on and so on. I mean this is a little bit moot because Lincecum's out of the rotation now, but. You know, that's the sort of thing you can do. And, um, you know, while I was talking, I should have been uh, doing uh, something with my hand. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I can. <laughs> I can uh, yeah, well, you uh, keep, that to, keep that to yourself, pal. <laughs> so let me see here. Fielding, uh, pitchers. Uh, let's see here. Standard. And stolen bases allowed. All right. So uh, Scott Feldman. Tyson Ross with that crazy weird delivery. AJ Burnett uh, with the hernia. He's, he has a well. Not only that, he's a. Uh, I know for a fact uh, that Burnett is a perennial stolen bases allowed guy. He's been very easy to run on his career. Yeah. Uh, so Jared Weaver, uh, Fausto Carmona, Roberto Hernandez, um, Drew Hutchinson. So those are your those are your top guys, and then you just switch right over to catcher uh, and do the the same. Um, the same sort of uh, look at it. I wish we had, you know, stolen base percentage because, um, but you, you know, even if you just do it by stolen bases, you mostly teams run more against players that catches they can't get them. So Lucroy's uh, the worst. Uh, Castro is up there. So if you have Feldman and Castro, if you have Feldman throwing to Castro, there's there's a guy to go after. That sounds like a winner to me. That's a uh... That's... It's a little bit complicated. I'll try to do. I'll do a post maybe, but um, you know, you can also just do it if you're looking. If you have a weekly league, or if you're just looking for daily for daily lineups, that's beneficial. I know that some of the daily games, I mean, stolen bases are worth what uh, five points or something like that. So. Yeah, daily fantasy, it's a big one. Also, if you're if you're just looking for the weekend and you you have a head to head comp and you need to get into the playoffs, you look at the weekend and you say, all right, who's who's facing the Astros? Is Feldman going to pitch this weekend? Uh, you know, Avila is third. Who's facing Detroit? You know who's going to pitch for them. So um, I think uh, that's uh, that's that's your way to do it right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that is going to do it for this edition of the Sleeper Under the Bus. You know, some fantastic stuff. I think we had some good bantery things going on there. <laughs> we laughed. We we uh, we, we talked uh, about roses. <laughs> we we talked about uh, love. We, we had we listened to you share too much information about your hand. Oh, that's right. You know, it's it's not a podcast without a little TMI. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Thank everybody for listening and for, uh, you know and uh, for joining us uh, again. Uh, I am your host Nicholas Minix. This has been episode number one fifty nine of the Sleeper and the Bust. Boom.